Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. And today we are talking about cultivating greater happiness through food. One of the greatest pleasures that most of us have in life is the ability to sit down to a well-crafted and well-loved meal, whether it's with our families, with friends, the act of growing food, having our hands in the soil, the act of preparing food, we know offers joy to so many people and certainly to us consumers who love to sit down around the table to a phenomenal meal. And today we're talking about the slow food movement. Slow Food is a global grassroots organization that was founded in 1989 to prevent the disappearance of local food cultures and traditions, counteract the rise of fast life, and combat people's dwindling interest in the food they eat, where it comes from, and how our food choices affect the world around us. Since its beginning, Slow Food has grown into a global movement involving millions of people in over 150 countries working to ensure that everyone, and by that we really mean everyone, has access to good clean and fair food. And with me today, I am delighted to speak with Paolo De Croce. He is the executive director of the Slow Food International Movement. Paolo serves as the international secretary of Slow Food International Board of Directors, the highest governing body of Slow Food International. Welcome, Paolo. I am just delighted to spend some time with you. Thank you very much and good morning. Ah, good afternoon to you. Paolo is, is coming to us from Italy. As you know, we are outside of Los Angeles by the sea, actually in an agri- agricultural belt. So, Paolo, let's talk about really what slow food means. I described a bit, but it really goes much deeper than this. 
Yeah, I think that you you describe it very very well. It's uh, because you 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 pointed the the very important elements that uh, that are in our in our movement. Uh, the, the fact to be global, and as you said, uh, uh, we are in 150 countries of the planet. So in the huge majority of the countries of the planet, and this is very important because the uh, food is a global issue. Uh, there are uh, a lot of uh, positive aspects that you mentioned in the pleasure and the importance of growing food, preparing food, eating food, but there are also a lot of challenges and, 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 and problems related to the food production, food consumption, and the problems are really, are really global and uh, everyday choices of people uh, have an impact on, uh, on the local community, but also the global community. So we, we think that it's very, very important to be uh, to act and to work uh, in every corner of the planet. And we work, as you said, to try to change the food system that has run the world in the last 60 years. And uh, as you said, we, we try to promote uh, what we say good, clean and fair food. Very briefly, uh, good refers to the quality, to the taste of food, but also to the fact that uh, food has to be healthy. Uh, we are eating too much food that is not healthy uh, in, in, this, uh, in this world. Then it has to be clean, has to be environmentally friendly, because too often the industrial food production is creating uh, big, big troubles and problems to the environment, to the soil, to the loss of biodiversity, to the water. And we are all facing these, uh, these issues related to the bad food production. And fair, because there are too many food producers, there are too many farmers all over the world that they uh, do not earn enough money for the job that they do, even if too often we as consumers, we pay a high price to buy good food. So only the combination of good, clean and fair uh, of these three elements define the, the, the food that we want to promote. And it's the food that we promote, uh, as I said, in every corner of the planet, we with project activities, with everything we can, both with the producers and with the consumers. And what I hear you saying is this ties into many aspects of life besides just the food itself. We're talking about culture, politics, agriculture, and the environment, and the psychology of food, in fact, really. Yeah, absolutely. And we always say that uh, we have to have an holistic approach related to food because food is not fuel. Food is not a commodity. Food is not something that we have to eat only because to, we, we have to survive. Food is, as you said, it's culture, it's identity, it's uh, history, it's environment, it's, uh, so many, it's economy, it's pleasure, it's health, uh, it's uh, biology, it's so many, it's really, really complicated. But uh, uh, can be also a great pleasure, can be happiness, and can be can really represent a, a better way of living. Uh, so it's really important to try to to think to food with a new perspective, with a different perspective. Really trying to give the right value. Uh, to, to the food, because too often we think that uh, uh, we as people, as consumers, we don't give uh, the right value to food. We prefer, uh, we have other priorities, we, we give more value to a lot of other things and not to food, but we really think that uh, food is one of the most, uh, most important things that uh, uh, should be part of our life. It really is the, the heart center 
of family and community. I mean, I know for myself to sit down to a family meal, which is something we do with great regularity. It can't be seven days a week because we realize that life is very, very busy and hectic with kids going off to sports, etc. But the idea to come and, and commune over a meal, to put away the, 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 the cellular devices, to eat food that comes to us locally. We have the great benefit of really phenomenal farmers markets from which we buy and eat every week. And the food we do consume is local and responsibly farmed. But not everybody has that option, but there are ways around it. And I would love for you to share what slow food is doing to raise awareness in these countries around the world. 150 is formidable. Yeah, as I, to raise awareness, we have uh, we have many different uh, many different programs, and uh, uh, starting from uh, uh, the young guys, the young children, uh, because it's uh, you know to to really be able to appreciate uh, a different uh, food uh, quality food, a good clean and fair food, uh, you have to be informed, you have to have uh, knowledge, you have to have access to information. So the biggest challenge that we have worldwide is to really try to uh, talk to people, to communicate to people, to explain why it's so important to eat local, why it's important to eat organic, why it's important to eat less, for example, why it's important to really have the right approach to food. And we have uh, educational programs in, in schools uh, trying to teach uh, uh, the, the, the taste education, try to teach uh, food education in uh, many, many countries and also in the US we have a big program on uh, school gardens. I know that are very important uh, school gardens in the US and we have a specific program, the slow food uh, school gardens, for example, to adult with the events, with gathering, with convening, with communication, with information, because only knowing uh, for where uh, the food comes from and the diversity between the good food and industrial food can really make the difference. And the big challenge, in especially in a country like your country, such a big country, but with a, with a great uh, presence of uh, good, clean and fair food. I really think that there, is, there are so many great opportunities in your country to, to have these, uh, to find good, clean and fair food, but... Uh, uh, what is difficult uh, for consumers, I think, it's to find the good food because there are many places in your area. It's a very good one where you have farmer market, you have CSAs, you have a lot of different ways to, to know food. But uh, other places, it's more difficult. So it's really the challenge is to create connections between food producers, between farmers and uh, uh, and, and consumers who are interested in uh, different, different ways. And then, on the other end, it's very important to work with producers uh, to have the good, clean and fair food, because unfortunately, uh, they, they still the, the majority of the food production is still industrial and is not good, clean and fair. You know, you, you bring up a point about teaching young people about gardening, teaching them about uh, good, clean, and fair food, uh, helping them create a palate that actually desires this kind of food. And one of the things that we do know with the urban gardening movement is that you don't need a lot of land. You actually don't need that much to begin to create uh, a small garden of your own. It can be done in window boxes. It can be done on the roof of buildings. It can be done on a small plot of land. I know there's a movement in Detroit, Michigan, taking abandoned properties and turning them into community gardens. This is what I see as the embodiment of, of the movement. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a matter of education. It's not a matter of uh, time. It's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of, uh, uh, you know, many other things. It's a matter of uh, defining priorities and deciding that uh, uh, good, clean and fair food uh, should be a priority, should be a choice for ourselves and our families. Uh, in, if this is the, the, the right approach, I think that there are the conditions to, as you said, uh, with a small uh, piece of land, uh, you know, creating a, a group of friends instead of thinking to big CSAs. It's enough to, uh, you know, to gather with, uh, with a few friends to create a group and to really have a chance to uh, eat good, clean and fair food. It's a matter of information, education and knowledge. And also health. I mean, it's looking to create a future of, of healthy people. We are going to go to a break, and when we return, we will carry on the discussion with Paolo De Croce of Slow Food. To learn more, please visit slowfood.com. On Facebook, the page is Slow Food International, and on Twitter, the handle is at SlowFoodHQ. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on Addiction, an Integrated Journey to Wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, and today we are talking about the art of slow food, cultivating slow food, which is a movement that began in Italy. And with me today is Paolo Di Croce. He is... The man in charge over there, he is the executive director of Slow Food International. He also serves on the board of directors. And we were talking about the necessity to create and educate 
people about the values of good, clean, and fair food. Slow food, as we mentioned in the prior segment, has millions of people involved globally. They are in over 150 countries. Paolo, talk to us a little bit about some of the other less obvious countries um, that are involved in the slow food movement. Yeah, I think it's uh, this is a, it's a very important for us, and uh, we have started to uh, work uh, seriously to try to expand our network outside of Europe uh, or North America or some countries like Japan and Australia that were historically the countries where the food was was there because. Uh, as, as we said before, food is global and we cannot talk about food issues and also quality and enjoying food if we forget that there are countries where people uh, are still starving. We have never to forget that uh, uh, a little bit less than 1 billion, 840 million people are still starving on this planet. So we have really to try to work uh, everywhere and now we develop a big uh, network in uh, 27 countries in uh, in Africa we are almost uh, in every single country in Latin America we are in many different countries in Asia and I think that uh, talking about uh, strange countries to, to have the food I think that uh, the youngest in the slow food uh, uh, network that was created very recently is for example the food in China we opened up uh, Slow Food in China. We had a big event uh, in Beijing uh, just uh, mid of September, so one month, a little bit more than one month ago, uh, trying to uh, to bring and to take our philosophy also in a country where, if you think about the food heritage and the, the patrimony and the history, maybe it's the the oldest uh, and the richest uh, country in the world. If you talk about environment, about pollution, about uh, quality, and about problems related to uh, the bad industrial production, food, and not only food, uh, maybe they are uh, the country in the world where uh, there are ma- more problems. And I'm very happy to say that now, also together with the government, uh, we have been recognized to try to take our philosophy, to bring our philosophy there. And I hope that this is a, a clear symbol of, uh, of the fact that the world is changing and that we really need to stop to pollute the world uh, with our industrial agriculture and to eat things that are not healthy and to start uh, to recover our tradition, uh, to think about quality and to really try to uh, change people's mind. This is fantastic, and it really uh, speaks to how small the world is becoming. You know, while many of us may see the world as uh, a scary, frightening, and out-of-control place, what I believe you are doing through Slow Food is actually unifying the world and making us understand that we do have some control, that if we begin to control our food sources and begin to act responsibly with them, educate others, and provide for others. This is the other thing that I hear, you know, because there is so much poverty still in the world and we have the technology and we have the seeds to to eradicate hunger with just our attention. Absolutely. And uh, and everything is connected and everything is connected. When a person in Europe or in the US, in your country, when a person eats industrial meat uh, twice a day, it's not only creating an issue to his or her health because it's not healthy to eat a big, gigantic steak twice a day. It's not only creating a problem to the environment, because we all know how uh, big is the impact on the environment of uh, industrial animals' uh, uh, production, but also is uh, contributing to 
create problems to uh, the global south. Because one, uh, one number that I always give is that uh, in almost all the poorest country in the world, in 36 of the 40 poorest countries in the world, where people, they do not have access to food, the reality is that in these countries, uh, they export food. They export cereals to the US and to, the, and to Europe, to my Europe, uh, to feed animals to feed animals, to allow us to eat meat twice a day, to become unhealthy and to pollute the environment. So the day that we will be able to understand that uh, we have to eat less meat, that we have to eat uh, better quality meat, and that there are all these connections, uh, the world will be uh, healthier and uh, and it will be much easier to to contribute to really to really big change and this is something that we have learned in uh, in years of uh, experience in our network and also thanks to a project that we have that is called Terra Madre Mother Earth that is a big network uh, of thousands and thousands of uh, food producers, farmers, fishermen, uh, cheesemakers, whoever is involved in good, clean and fair production for, from all over the world. And when they gather, the producers, they really understand and see that uh, uh, the problems are the, the same, the challenges are the same, and that all together we can really try to find a, a solution, a better solution for the future. Uh, the Terra Madre uh, project has an important event coming up, does it not? Yes, uh, starting tomorrow in India, we are going to, to have a big gathering and the team will be indigenous people. It will be the second edition of the Terra Madre Indigenous People. And in the northeast of India, in the Meghalaya state, uh, that is one of the most remote uh, states uh, in, uh, in India, around 1,000 people coming from 60 countries of the world, uh, they will gather all representatives of indigenous people, indigenous communities, to try to strengthen the network and to strengthen the platform uh, for uh, the indigenous right uh, for the indigenous food uh, for the indigenous uh, knowledge and preserving the indigenous knowledge because it's clear that when we talk you talk about culture identity and knowledge and tradition it's clear that indigenous people in many many countries are still facing uh, issues and problems and so uh, this is a very important component for for our movement and uh, uh, so tomorrow we are starting with this uh, with this big event it is one of the events the terra madre event that we are uh, doing uh, worldwide because every two years there is the global terra madre in turin in italy where we have around 5000 people representing these old communities that we have all over the world to to, to join uh, and then we have some thematic uh, uh, Terra Madre, like the, the, the indigenous Terra Madre, like what we had uh, two months ago here in, uh, in Italy, that was a Terra Madre youth. So to try to uh, give power and empower and give recognition to the role of uh, young people in agriculture. Wow, this sounds like a phenomenal, phenomenal event and initiative in general. Talk a little bit about the Arc of Taste and Presidia. The Arc of Taste is, uh, it's in the Presidia are our two main programs uh, in the area, in the field of what we call uh, in the programs in defense of uh, biodiversity. Because we always talk about good, clean and fair food, preserving good food, but uh, the reality is that uh, we are losing our food. We are losing uh, animal uh, breeds, uh, we are losing vegetable varieties, we are losing recipes, because uh, the world is, is moving in a different direction. And everywhere on the planet there are some products with a strong connection with the 
uh, with, the, with the territory, with the identity, with the history, with the climate, with the microclimate, with the soil of the different area. And the Ark of Taste is the catalog. We, use the, we decided to use the metaphor of the Ark, Noe Ark, to really try to create a, a place where endangered food, food that is at risk of extinction for the global system, uh, should be uh, protected. Should be protected and should be uh, communicated and should be eaten by as many people as possible. So this is a catalog. We already have more than 3,000 Arc of Taste product from all over the world. We have more than 200 in the US. And, uh, and this catalog is really growing to try to, um, to, to tell people that it's important to, to know food diversity and that it's important to know what the food that we eat. And the Presidia are, is a step uh, ahead of the Arc of Taste because there is a catalog, but we also need uh, concrete projects, concrete uh, activities to work together with producers and to connect with consumers to create a market, to create opportunities for people to know this product and to eat this product and to help uh, in preserving biodiversity. Wow. Uh, and going back to the slow food gardens, um, there are approximately 10,000 of them in Africa. I know we're digressing in the conversation, but this is an impressive number. And this is teaching people really how to care for themselves and feed themselves well. Yeah, we are. The, the goal is to arrive uh, to 10,000, and it will take uh, some more years to arrive to 10,000. But more important than numbers is the concept of really growing food. Uh, and you know, the 50%, more than 50% of these gardens are school gardens, in a country where uh, young people, even if they, there are problems of starvation, uh, young people they do not want to grow the land because it's something uh, that has not a value. They want to leave the countryside, to go to live in big cities, to, uh, to, to work uh, in, in some other areas. We think that it's very important to give value uh, to the role of farmers. It's important to give value to the traditional seeds. It's important to teach people how to, how to grow, but it's even more important to leave people people decide uh, what to eat and not to help them in sending our seeds or our knowledge or our technology, but in empowering them, in giving them ownership, in deciding what they need to eat and in understanding how to grow food and in recognizing the importance of food and, and, and farming. And this is the main goal of our uh, 10,000 Gardens in Africa program that it's run in uh, more than 27, in 27 countries in Africa. Wow. And most importantly, I think you hit the nail on the head by the aspect of empowerment, you know, helping people to uh, be empowered to feed themselves well, responsibly, understand the, the ecosystem, the biodiversity, and to, to be able to hold their welfare in their own hands and not be reliant on external sources. This is what I hear is to be valuable. It Absolutely. It's, it's the concept of food sovereignty. And it's also something that we have to uh, really think when uh, we, we, we talk about international aid. We don't have to send food. We have to empower them to produce the, the food that they want to eat and not to eat our uh, waste, as very often it happens, but uh, to really be able to uh, empower them to give uh, their ownership of what they do. And it's uh, the best way to help people, not only in Africa, but everywhere in the world, in every local community. 
I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we have, are about out of time, and I want to thank you, Paolo De Croce, for being with us. To learn more, please visit slowfood.com. On Facebook, the page is Slow Food International, and on Twitter, that handle is at slowfoodhq. And uh, Paolo, I want to wish you the best on the Terra Madre project that is uh, just kicking off in India, the, the, the convention or the people coming together in India to begin to appreciate and hold dear the values which the slow food movement is is known for for propagating okay thank you so much uh thank you we know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity we'll be right back to explain how on harvesting happiness with lisa cypress cayman harvest more happiness by liking us on facebook at harvesting happiness following lisa on twitter at lisa cayman and tweeting us with the hashtag harvesting happiness Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Cayman has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services including addiction and trauma recovery support as well as life crisis triage are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking about sustainability and farming and the slow food movement. And my next guest really is a, a shining example of how food and sustainable farming affects the environment, the economy, and society as a whole. And with me now is Megan Klein. She is a lifelong long advocate of urban agriculture and sustainable food systems. Megan Klein is Farmed Here's president. Not only does she have an interest in the environment and sustainable foods and advocacy, but she's also an attorney. She holds a degree from Fordham University School of Law and a certificate from the New York City Environmental Law Leadership Institute, as well as a BA from Boston College. Welcome, Megan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. 
This is really a great pleasure because I love when we're able to bring organizations on the show that are dovetailing multiple layers and aspects of passion, purpose, place, and meaning, you know, our show theme. And what Farmed Here does is pretty fascinating. Tell us a little bit about Farmed Here because it's the longest running commercial scale vertical farm in North America. Yeah, that's right. So we started, um, our founders started farming indoors in 2010. Um, They started growing basil and um, microgreens and like little salad greens in 2010 in a really small um, test space actually in Englewood, which is on the south side of Chicago. Um, And then we were lucky enough to, um, you know, and we were um, one of our, one of our, Ethos has always been to grow organic food, so um, we caught the eye of Whole Foods. Not only were we local, but we were also growing organic basil. And so um, Whole Foods and a few other stores took a chance on us, and they started buying our product. And once we had a little interest, um, we um, moved into our bigger space in Bedford Park, and now we have a we grow vertically. We have 30,000 square feet of growth space in a 20,000 square foot room, and we grow organic uh, basil, organic uh, micro broccoli, kale, pea shoots, and a bunch of other colorful microgreens, and um, we sell them to stores within 200 miles of us. What is amazing about the vertical farm movement, and particularly you talk about producing organic basil, this means for those of you who are foodies out there, that you can be getting summer quality basil in the middle of winter, in the middle of a snowstorm in Illinois, farmed here is growing like perfectly beautiful basil, correct? Correct. I'm so happy to be speaking with you right now, Lisa, but I wish I could um, show you what my view is, I'm in a different room now, but generally we sit and we look out on the farm. So I see um, six layers of beautiful organic basil and they're lit by um, purple um, Illumitex LED lights. And um, it's really pretty. It's always summer in the farm. It's always summer, and I'm sure it smells like heaven to walk out into the farm and to smell the fresh herbs and to know that this is something that is accessible to all. This is also the beauty of these products year-round. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and another thing is, you know, we grow year-round. Things are growing in our system 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and that also means that... um, you know, people are getting a really fresh product from us. Uh, I can give you an example. We're harvesting basil right now as we speak, and it is going to get packed in the next hour, and it's going to go out on the delivery trucks at 5 a.m. tomorrow. So people in buying from Mariano's in Chicago uh, tomorrow will get something that was harvested less than 24 hours ago. This is fabulous. Will you send us some pictures? Because we will definitely share them with our community through social media. This is oh, the yeah, um, the miracle and the advent of farming in the future, that we really can go from farm to table year-round. Um, we can support our cities with this vertical model. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the projected population on the planet and what alternative forms of agriculture can do towards feeding the planet. Right. Well, um, you know, we're going to have um, 9 billion people by 2050, and we need uh, a way to feed them. Um, and, you know, one of the, the – we, we always say that vertical farming, what we're doing, is, is always going to be a complement to traditional agriculture. We have no desire to take it over. It's just 
we're going to have a lot of people, and those people are going to need food to eat, and not only food to eat, but they're going to need um, healthy and organic food to eat. So what we do is, you know, our building is horribly ugly from the outside. You would never guess that it was supporting life, but, you know, we took a 90,000-square-foot space, and we created it into an organic food-creating facility. And, um, you know, we hope to build a lot more farms and we hope a lot of other people build a lot more farms so that we're feeding those 9 billion people, um, you know, healthy, nutritious food. And the beauty of vertical farming is multi-layered or multi-leveled in that it requires very little real estate. Uh, It can be grown year round, as we've said before, very little water climate controlled and give us more benefits. I mean, because we can feed a lot of people with this model. Yeah, exactly. You know, one thing you touched on was the water. Um, you know, we use up to 97% less water than traditional farming. Our plant roots, um, the, the water doesn't need to get watered on top of the plant, Like the plant roots suck up the water directly and it's all um, recirculated and, you know, filtered and cleaned and recirculated again. So we're really, um, conserving water to the maximum extent possible, um, you know, and also another sustainable factor is our um, food miles. Um, farm to your depots is we don't deliver anywhere farther than 200 miles from where our farm is, and, and the vast majority of our deliveries are actually within about 30 miles of the Chicagoland area. So we're, you know, we're, we're committed to environmental sustainability. Um, we conserve water. We uh, have LED lights. We have Illumitex LED lights, which we love, um, which are, um, you know, they reduce our energy costs by about 20%. Um, and then, you know, we, we don't deliver far. So it's overall, you know, we're, we're constantly striving towards greater sustainability, but we think we're doing a pretty good job so far. I'd say, I mean, in the 300 miles from, you said 300 miles or 200 miles? 200 miles. Yeah, 200 miles. So less than three hours. Like, USDA or, you know, the government, it's like 400 miles and some people do 300 miles or 100 miles. We've said 200 miles because we think, you know, that's a a reasonable driving distance to do in one day. And that prevents us from having to use big semi-trailers and, and, you know, more fossil fuels going across the country. What about um, pesticides? Oh, yeah, we don't use any pesticides (laughs) because we farm in a controlled environment. Um, we, you know, eliminate a lot of the um, problems that uh, are inherent in traditional agriculture. I mean, farms are outside, so of course they have to worry about bugs. Um, we don't have to worry about any bugs. Not only are we indoors, but we also, you know, we're a really food-safe facility. We um, have air curtains on all our doors, which means blowing the bugs out. Um, so there's no bugs in there. And then also, you know, from a food safety perspective, we don't have any of the risks that are inherent on a farm, meaning we don't have um, farm animals walking around and we don't have birds and we don't have bugs. And those are the sources of, you know, bad things like um, food pathogens. So growing indoors definitely has that advantage. So the lack of any pesticides right there makes it an advantage over more traditionally farmed products. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, not only are we... um, USDA organic, but we're also, we're not contributing to, you know, we, we don't have any um, chemical residue on our plants. We're not putting any of that into the sewers. We're not putting any into the groundwater. People that are eating our plants, have, they know that they're eating um, zero pesticide food. And you mentioned being um, a certified organic vertical farm. It's, you are the only 
uh, USDA approved or certified organical, organic vertical farm, correct? You know, yeah, there, and I would like to, to point out there are other people, there are other aquaponic farms that are certified organic. And so there are certainly other indoor farms out there doing great work, but we are, we are the only people that we know of that are doing it on a large scale. Amazing. And, and what is this teaching us and our, the next generation about farming as a whole, either as a hobby that we grow our own for our own family's consumption or how we can come together as a community to create com- communal farms where, where we're raising food, creating food to sustain the community. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing and not very hard is what is my understanding. Yeah, no, I mean, it's fantastic. You know, we have, we use a bunch of different technologies in our farm. Um, the smallest uh, systems where we grow our microgreens, I mean, they might be a little big for someone's house, but they certainly sell smaller ones out there. And so it's really encouraging to us to see how much we've been able to grow indoors. Um, and we think the possibilities are endless as long as we have the research and development and space to dedicate to it. So I think, you know, I hope we can inspire people to, you know, start out by growing herbs or lettuces under a few lights in a little hydroponic system or even a bowl. Um, and hopefully, you know, people will start growing a lot more food all year round um, indoors. I happen to have a black thumb, but I am very <laughs> um, intrigued by this concept of vertical farming. I mean, it's something that I am committed to uh, a, a, at least test drive on my own and see what I can come up with because. I love the idea of doing it myself, taking up a little space, creating our own food source, and the, the sort of meditative quality of tending, tending the crop, you know? Uh-huh. Um, what about um, the crop cycles? The other thing with um, the, the indoor farming or the vertical farming is because you can farm all year round, how does that increase um, the production. Well, yeah, and, that, and there are two um, facets to that. So one is we do farm all year round. And so, you know, let's say a plant took 60 days, um, they would maybe get two site crop cycles out of that, and we're going to get five or six. So, you know, we're farming all year round, so we have the crop cycles. And then in addition, um, because we grow indoors in a controlled environment without, um, you know, drought and disease and animals, um, and because the plants are under light 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they grow faster. So, for uh, example, you know, our basil, we're growing twice as much basil as an outdoor farm. And then, you know, we have um, eight turns of it a year. So we have, we think we're, you know, we're growing like 12 times as much basil sometimes as an outdoor farm. Incredible. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the conversation with Megan Klein of Farmed Here. To learn more, please visit farmedhere.com. On Facebook, you can find them at Farmed Here. And on Twitter, that handle is at Farmed Here. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we're talking food, sustainability, and vertical farming. Here come the tunes. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Please. 
Lisa Cypress Kamen, author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question, what makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking about vertical farming. We're talking about sustainability in how we grow our foods. And with me today is Megan Klein. She is with Farmed Here. She is the president. She's a lawyer. She's interested in food, sustainability, and advocates for farming responsibly indoors and vertically. Megan, prior to the break, you were talking about the crop cycles and how many more cycles we can get out of a particular food source by doing so year-round and indoors. I wanted to just ask you a, a curious question because I'm a tomato lover and the thought of having these big, juicy, beautiful summer tomatoes to go along with that basil in the middle of winter is enticing. But you told me something during the break that, that sort of negates the two growing side by side. Oh, yeah. So um, traditionally, Tomatoes that are grown indoors have been grown in um, greenhouses, and, and the greenhouse technology does that really well. Um, you know, t- tomatoes are definitely the next generation of vertical farming. Um, you know, either we or someone else will figure out how to grow tomatoes um, indoors and be really successful at it. Right now, the reason we haven't been trying it is because, um, you know, I'm not a plant scientist, but any plant scientist will tell you that you shouldn't have flowering plants and non-flowering plants in the same um, environment. And so we have um, our tomatoes. Tomatoes would have to be in a different room. And right now um, our farm is just one big room and we're only growing uh, basil and leafy greens. Got it. It makes perfect sense. But, you know, I have the whole visual image in my mind of the basil and the tomatoes. And you can understand where I'm going with that as a food person. Um, you have some very interesting partners at Farmed here. Um, you and I were t- talking prior uh, to the show beginning about 
people with, and I'm doing a little air quote here, employment barriers, people who may have had some challenges in their life finding a place with the indoor farming or vertical farming movement. Talk a little bit about your partnerships. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, um, we partner with some really great local organizations. Um, Windy City Harvest is um, connected to the Chicago Botanic Garden. Um, Growing Home is another nonprofit organization. And then we work with the um, Chicago Federation of Labor um, Workers Assistance Committee. And all of those organizations train people with employment barriers, such as um, maybe a felony record, um, maybe, you know, maybe people who are veterans or, or just for some reason they've been out of the workforce for a while and they want to get back in it. Um, they train um, people, well, Windy City Harvest and Growing Home train them specifically for um, urban farming. And so they, you know, it's, it's a really cool industry to be in because it's new and no one is really an expert in it. And so why not train someone who's been out of the workforce to become an urban farmer and feel good about what they're doing and um, learn a new skill that's pretty um, unique. And so right now, um, nine of our current 35 employees uh, were hired through those programs, and we have some really great success stories with them. Um, You know, one of our guys, Steve, uh, has been here for three years. Um, You know, he had a significant, you know, he's been here for three years. He takes really um, a lot of interest in what we do, and we've seen him grow, and he's, uh, you know, one of the team leaders now, and and we really... um, we look forward to working with those organizations in the future because, I mean, we, you know, we help people giving them jobs, but they also help us because they come to work really excited about not only having a job, but like excited about the indoor farming industry. And it's a, it's a really great partnership. And we know that when people have a sense of passion, purpose, place and meaning in what they do in life, they emotionally are more stable. They make better employees, better partners. They tend to be healthier. So what you're serving, not only are you serving to create a job, you're serving to help provide somebody with a sense of stability and grounding in, in their lives, which is, which is wonderful. Oh, well, thanks. We hope so. And, you know, we hope um, it's great to have people get really invested in our products themselves, like, um, you know, so a lot of the people that work with us um, maybe weren't <laughs> a couple. Most people aren't accustomed to microgreens, right? But now um, everyone has an opinion about how the basil tastes that day or how the microgreens taste that day. And, you know, some people come and they'll cook basil in different ways. And um, we have a really, a really great blended uh, blend of cultures here. And um, people do really good food things with, um, you know, our, our products. And it's really fun. In addition to the microgreens and the basil, you also have a line of salad dressings. Talk a little bit about how that line was developed and um, how it is being marketed. Well, yeah, we love our salad dressing. So, you know, originally we had, um, we were producing more basil than we could sell. So any of the basil that we didn't sell on a given day, like I said, we, we deliver it to the stores right away any basil that didn't sell, we would um, freeze. And, you know, there are also some parts of the basil plant that um, wouldn't be like that beautiful basil leaf that you buy at the store, but it's perfect. It tastes like basil and it's perfectly good. So what we do is then we make salad dressings out of that basil, which it's delicious, healthy salad dressing. Um, we use non-GMO canola oil. I mean, it's all non-GMO. We um, blend a ton of basil. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a half a cup of basil in each um, bottle of salad dressing. 
um, and there are two delicious flavors of it. So, you know, we create this, like, great, um, completely local food. I mean, I don't know anywhere else who's growing food and also locally making a food and blending those two things together. Um, so, you know, we're really proud of being able to not only make a truly local product, but also to, um, you know, even reduce our waste even further. We, we don't throw away anything that's compostable. We, you know, we have people come and pick up our compost, but we're excited to be able to make a value-added product out of any baseable that's usable. It's terrific. And and when you look at the duration of the company's existence, Farmtier, you said, was founded in 2010. So in six years, you've gone to stock more than uh, 200 retailers in the greater Chicago area, including Whole Foods. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We, um, I mean, we were really grateful for the support of our um of the stores, especially Whole Foods and Mariano's, have been really great um, supporters of us, and they they value both of them value like local food and organic food. And uh, yeah, we just we feel really blessed that we have um, like supporting uh, grocery stores, and then also supporting customers who eat our food. Let me ask you how you got into food because you started your professional life in law. And and you also have a background in energy. Right. Well, we were actually talking before the show about the, the New York professor, um, Professor Dixon Dupomier, and that is kind of how I got into this. So I was um, I was interested in energy. I was doing wind and ethanol law, and I wanted to help the environment. And then I did um, – I was always really passionate about food, but I never found a way to put my kind of legal – and um, business background together with food. Um, and uh, I was reading it. So then I read Dixon DePomier's book, The Vertical Farm. Um, and that is a 2000, I think it's a 2006 book. But it, at that time, vertical farming was just kind of a something that was um, theoretical and people were only doing it in academia on a small scale. And I, I actually contacted Dixon because I was living in New York and he's a, a Columbia professor. I was a lawyer in New York. And um, he said, you know, you have to find these farm here people. They're the only people that are doing it on any sort of commercial scale. And so I know that, or I really truly believe in my heart that um, indoor farming is the future and we need to do this to feed people and we need more healthy organic food. So I basically just stocked farm here until they hired me a little more than two years ago. Wow. Well, so it's a passion that I mean, you, you, have the, you have the skill, you have the background, but you came to Farmed Here through through your passion, which is which is wonderful. And we've had Dixon de Pommier on the show and I am was completely taken by by his work. And we were speaking of a restaurant down in the West Village that I'm familiar with and the name escapes me, but where all of the produce is grown on the roof. And I you may know of which Rosemary. one I'm speaking. Say again. Rosemary's, I think it is. I think you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that just astounds me. I was I was familiar with one um, restaurant in the Netherlands that was doing it. And then somebody had brought me to this restaurant in New York, Rosemary's, and I was like blown away that here in the middle of the city that the the staff was going up to the roof and basically harvesting the produce for the day's um, vegetables. It's incredible. Yeah, Rosemary's is a great place, and that the the owner there, Carlos Suarez, has like been really great, like supporter of local farms. So that's a good place. 
And I think there's more to come. You know, we're just seeing the beginning, like what you say. You know, we this is really in its infancy because we've got a lot of people to feed and the means to really feed the world if we use our talents and our resources wisely. You know, no, there should be no one hungry. That's what I glean from these types of shows when I do them. Oh, that's great. I mean, that's how we feel, too. And we just we hope that there is just, you know, that this industry um, grows exponentially so that people, you know, everyone should have access to local and organic food. Thank you, Megan Klein from Farmed Here for being with us today. To learn more, please visit farmedhere.com. On Facebook, you can find Farmed Here at Farmed Here. And on Twitter, that handle is at Farmed Here. We have a run out of time. We've flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my incredible guests today, Paolo Di Croce and Megan Klein, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.